Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good, good. Hey, how about that music, huh? Come on. Hey, a uh, couple things. First of all, Merry Christmas. I, uh, if you are here from, uh, for, thank you from the three of you who said it back. Um, but if you are new with us today, if you're visiting in town, if you're here to see uh, parents or grandparents, or, or you just thought, you know what, today's a great time to, to get myself back to church, we're, we're especially happy to, uh, to have you here. Everybody else, meh, whatever. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and, uh, and we are honestly excited to have you here with us in the midst of the Christmas season. And so much of, of that Christmas season, of the Christmas season, is wrapped up in, uh, in music, it seems like. And so um, uh, I love sitting. I get to be in the back and just observe and listen and worship from back there. Um, and, uh, and hearing the different songs we sang, hearing the quartet and all that stuff, it was just uh, phenomenal. So anybody who had a part of that, Great job. Um, also, um, tomorrow night, uh, if, if you are here thinking that this service is going to be the same as tomorrow night service, you are sadly mistaken, which means you get to come back again. Um, but uh, we got our Christmas Eve service going on. It's going to be tomorrow night at 530. Um, and uh, it'll be about an hour long, 530 to 630. I'm, I'm going to be real tight. And some of you guys are like, yeah, right. That doesn't happen. Um, but I'm going to be real tight tomorrow night. But largely, it's going to be a lot of music. It's going to be a lot of celebration, a lot of worship. We have childcare for, for any kids, birth through kindergarten, and, uh, and everybody else, we would encourage you to bring your other kiddos in here. We even have like some little crafts they can do in their seats and that sort of thing. Uh, we, we'll be set and ready to go by about 4.30, 4.45 or so, and we'll have hot chocolate and cider, and there's like literally hundreds and hundreds of cookies that have been brought uh, by, by a lot of you here um, that, that we'll have in the back and that sort of thing. So, so come early. Grab a seat, chat a little bit, grab some coffee if you want, if you need to, to make it through until, uh, until the end of your Christmas Eve festivities. But, uh, but that's tomorrow night at 530, so we would invite you to come to that. Um, um, but but let's let's jump into this morning. We can talk about tomorrow all we want. But let's let's jump into this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called Christmas Stories, and and largely what we've been doing is we've been looking at different characters from the Christmas story. We started back at the beginning of December, uh, and we'll be wrapping it up tomorrow night with the, uh, the grand finale. Shocker! It's Jesus. Uh, um, you guys are like, I don't have to come tomorrow night now. He told me every we're good. Um, Anyway, uh, last week we got an opportunity to talk a little bit about Joseph, um, and, uh, and this week we get an opportunity to talk about Jesus' mama, Mary. Um, and, and last week I gave the guys a bit of a shout out because of what the dads in the room had to endure during childbirth, right? For you dads in the room. That's funny, I only heard ladies laughing at that. I don't... But largely, because largely what we had to endure is uh, like, you know, for anybody who's in my age range, like a lack of technology, like the Wi-Fi wasn't very good, right? And I'm like, honey, can you believe this Wi-Fi over here? It's no good. And she's going through a contraction. Um, but, uh, and sometimes being a little bit parched because you have to walk all the way down the hallway to get a glass of water. No one's hooking an IV up to me, so I feel more comfortable or anything like that, but whatever. Um, 
But, uh, but, but you moms in the room, okay, you moms in the room, largely, I mean, you know, and as, as we all do, uh, uh, and, and whether or not you're a mom who you've birthed a baby on your own, adopted a baby, fostered a baby, mentored a child, wherever you fall on the spectrum of motherhood. Can I just get a hand raised from you ladies in the room? Hand raised from you ladies in the room? Yeah, we can do a little shout out, okay? I think there was a guy impersonating uh, a lady over on this other side, um, but, uh, I just want to, to start out by reminding everybody in the room that there is no job that's more difficult than being a parent. And oftentimes, moms bear the brunt of more than their fair share. So moms in the room, it's not Mother's Day, but we'll say thank you this morning as well. Okay, so moms in the room, thank you. I, uh, I have a wife, and believe it or not, I have a mom too. I know, shocker. Um, but, uh, but my mom is incredible, and my mom seems to be one of those ladies uh, to gain more and more wisdom every single time I talk with her. What? <laughs> my, that wasn't a joke. I, I, you, know, you might know my mom. Um, but anyway... My wife, though, no laughing here, uh, my wife uh, is, is a superstar on, to, on top of all of this, okay? Um, and so for anyone who knows my wife, you know that she holds it down, right? And she makes it look easy on top of that. So a lot of you in the room know that we have five little boys, okay, from the ages of two to nine years old. If you follow me on Instagram, I was, I was uh, showing what my boys were doing once they got out of school and they largely got a garbage can with wheels on the bottom, shoved their little brother in it and was giving him rides in the backyard. Like that is a normal thing for our home. Um, not the garbage as much as just the boys doing whatever their imaginations can, can dream up. Um, but, uh, but she makes it look easy, right? She makes it look easy. And we have, like I said, incredibly active sons and she just wades through the madness. Like there is calm and serenity in our home 24 seven, right? I'm like, that is not true. Cause I live in the same home. I don't know how she does it, but she does it. And on top of all of that, she's pretty as well. And so she gets, I know <laughs> brownie point. But, uh, but before my wife and I got married, uh, it was va- one thing was va- made very, very clear to me. And that thing was that my wife wanted babies. Very, very clear to me. She was the girl who didn't dream about changing the world through her thriving business as a CEO uh, or changing the political landscape through politics. She was the type of girl who dreamed, dreamed of getting married and raising a family of her own. That was her dream ever since she was a little girl. Uh, and, 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 and that wasn't enough for her though. She's always felt like her ministry was to prepare our sons for the battle that we call the world. And so every time I have changed jobs, one of the rules, one of the rules in our house was that my bride gets to stay at home because she has a responsibility and a ministry right in our home. But when, when Sarah had babies, when we had babies, a whole new side of her came out aside to my wife that that I had heard rumors that existed but I didn't actually get to see firsthand she was completely and totally immersed into a love that I didn't quite get I didn't quite understand I mean I love my kids from the moment they entered the world but honestly like they came into the world and we set them down and I could walk away and I could come back and they still hadn't done anything they'd be in the same spot so for me I was like okay it's a hard thing for me to relate to cool there's 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 a baby. Okay. You know, but my wife was completely and totally immersed into this, into this love of our boys from the second, all five of them were born. 
She has known them and loved them deeply and loved them truly and loved them richly. But there was a time when our middle son, Owen, was born. And Owen was, he was a cute kid. And Owen, from the outset, was a completely and totally just chilled out kid. Like calm, nothing seemed to bother him whatsoever. He was, he was cute and completely and totally chilled out from the time he came out of that womb. He didn't cry. He ate when he was hungry. He pooped when he had to. He did everything that a baby is supposed to do. And I just listed those two things. And beyond that, the nurses are all fawning over how cute he was. And the day we're supposed to head home from the hospital, um, they had to do a quick test and then we can leave. And it was a hearing test. And so, so uh, the, this nurse walks into the room and, and we had been here before. We knew kind of the protocol. We knew what was going to go down. Um, and so, so we're like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And, uh, and our response from Owen as they did the hearing test was nothing. Owen didn't budge. Owen didn't fuss. Owen didn't cry. He just looked at the nurse and his expression and his expression didn't change. She tried again a few different times and still nothing. After like the third or fourth try, she told us Owen wasn't responding to the hearing test and the doctor would have to come and check on him. And then she left. Just left, left us high and dry. We're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Can we get a timetable on this? Can you let us know uh, when the next available doctor is, please? Because I want to figure out exactly what's going on right now. We were freaking out as parents, wondering if our entire world was going to be flipped upside down. I was thinking I was going to get to learn sign language and, and how are our other kids going to communicate with their brother? And I was getting ready and preparing for these obstacles. And I remember Sarah um, from the bed, from the hospital bed, just saying, can we pray? And, and we did. And I sat on the bed and, and Sarah and I prayed. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't an eloquent prayer. It was just us asking God to allow our baby boy to hear. That was it. Fast forward a few hours, which seemed like an eternity, but fast forward a few hours uh, and the doctor comes in, he checks on Owen and says, uh, okay, you're good to go. We'll start getting you guys headed home. I'm like time out. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have an unresolved story here. Okay. It felt the same way that Sarah, and I, you feel right now the same way Sarah and I felt like, wait, what do you mean? You guys just get to go home? Like that was the end of the story? Like, yeah, honestly, that was the end of the story. The doctor did another check. Owen responded the way he was supposed to respond and his hearing was fine. But for those couple hours that seemed like an eternity, we were terrified and we were trying to figure out exactly what it is that we were going to have to do to be able to overcome this obstacle. It was an exhausting few hours, even thinking about a change that substantial coming into our family. Maybe you've gone through something like that, where you, 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 a lot of us in the room, we recognize that, that simply stated that, that life simply happens. That regardless of how we have things planned out, things don't always go the way that we want them to go. And I bet there are people in here who are right now walking through frustrations with a job even that they once thought was going to be their dream job. Or maybe a relationship that's not as smooth as they thought it would be when they said, I do, at the altar. Or maybe uh, you live in a home that at one point in time was the best thing to ever happen to you. And now it is falling apart all around you. And all we want is for Chip and Joe to swoop in from Waco, Texas and turn it into a fixer-upper, right? 
Like, man, and, and there's, but regardless of the joke, there is, there, we walk in the midst of frustration after frustration simply because we want to have a control on the way that our life is supposed to go. And largely, we don't get that opportunity. We all have things that come up and things that we aren't expecting, and we simply have to figure out how to deal with it. And today, we get the opportunity to look at Mary, who certainly had that same instance happen in her life. Where simply Mary had to deal with it. So a bit of background on Mary before we get into how we can apply the way she dealt with her circumstances to our lives. There's a couple of things. The angel comes to Mary at about six months. Okay. Uh, six months after Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay, so if you go back and you read the story, Mary's cousin, who's much older in age, she thought her womb was barren. She conceives of a child who is John the Baptist. Okay, six months after that, we see Mary show up on the scene. Okay, Mary lives in a village of, of Nazareth, the village of Nazareth, um, which would have been like this hill, hilly area southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Not a large town, but it was definitely there. We're also told that Mary was a virgin. She's engaged, but not yet married. Uh, the, uh, the word that the Bible uses is betrothed. Um, this gives us some clues about her age. Okay, so since we know that young women were usually betrothed between the ages of 12 to 12 and a half. Okay, so when we think of Mary, we, we oftentimes try to fit her into our cultural context. But think about, for those of you who have raised kids, or think about those of you who have kids maybe near this age, is Mary was 12 to 12 and a half years old. Depending on the time in, in, during the betrothal, it would have been about a year or so. She could have been 13, 13 and a half. Most optimistic guesses put her at about 14. Okay, so we have a 12 to 14-year-old girl here trying to deal with a circumstance being thrown at her that is way above her pay grade. I mean, when I was 12 to 14, I had, I had trouble brushing my teeth on my own accord, right? Like, some of you guys are like, what? <laughs> you were in high school. I know, I get it, right? It's crazy. But that, I mean, that's what we're dealing with here, 12 to 14 years old. And largely... This young girl is going to go down in history as the most important woman to ever walk the face of the earth. Not because of what she did, but because she was what she was willing to allow God to do in her. Her husband-to-be is Joseph. We talked about him last week. Joseph's a direct descendant of David. David is Israel's greatest king. Mary's background is a little bit more complex than that. Uh, some people say she was a direct descendant of Aaron. Aaron is the original high priest. Others trace her back to David's lineage as well. Regardless, uh, regardless of where she comes from, uh, she was no one from nowhere. For, for, for our context this morning, she was unimportant. She was someone who was betrothed to a carpenter who was most likely poor, trying to get by. She was no one from nowhere. But a few things we can take from her story is that, that, number one, Mary was faithful regardless of her circumstances. Mary was faithful regardless of her circumstances. For those of us who were here last week, you're going to see, uh, you're going to recognize that this is how we led off with Joseph as well. That Joseph was faithful regardless of his circumstances, and it's true of both of them. Regardless of what Mary and Joseph were faced with, which is a really big circumstance, she's faithful to God. 
Luke chapter one uh, is where, when we're, where we're going to spend most of our time. And in case you're curious, like if, if tomorrow night you guys are like, you know what, as a family, we want to read uh, the, the birth story, wanna, the, the nativity story. If you want to see more of Joseph's point of view, you're going to find that in Matthew. It's going to talk a lot about Joseph and Matthew. Uh, if you want to hear more about Mary, you're going to find a lot more about her in the book of Luke. So anyway, just a side note, but starting in verse 28, this is what it says. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So what happens is, is there's a whole lot of promises that are thrown out there by the angel to Mary. Whole lot of different things that the angel, the angel says, right? But, but one of my favorite things is Mary's response. She has to ask some questions because physically speaking, this is impossible. She knows her past. She knows that she is a virgin at this point. So, so, so having a baby is physically impossible for her. Verse 34 tells us that. But one of the things that I like about this section of scripture is that she goes specifically to the how. She doesn't think about verses 32 and 33, where it says, he will be great. Talking about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Like if an angel showed up and told me that one of my five kids, like this was going to be one of my five kids, I'm not going to the how. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to be able to foster those kids and be like, yep, you're going to be a king over everything one day. So I'm going to make sure that you have everything you need. But the reality is, is Mary is human, right? Just like all of us. And Mary's like, whoa, 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 time out. How, how is this going to work? She thinks about the how first and foremost. And when we think about our own issues, when we think about the frustrations that we are walking through, this is often where we go as well, is the how. It isn't leaning into God right away. It's all about how we are going to get through this or how this certain thing is going to work. One of the biggest growing periods in my faith, and I've shared this before, but one of the biggest growing periods in my faith had everything to do with me being faithful to God amid a terrible period in the life of my family when my dad got cancer. It was a terrible, terrible period. I was 17 years old at the time, so I'm at a formative stage of life as well. And so he had cancer for five years from the time I was 17 to the time I was 22. So when I was 17, I was a senior in high school. I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to college, what I wanted to do with my life. And by the time I was 22, I had graduated college. I was married. He got to be at my wedding. But there's a whole lot of life change that goes on there. I got my first job as a youth pastor, and I changed what I wanted to do like four different times. And God was like, no, this is the way you're going. Keep going that way. 
But, but that time in my life was an incredibly uh, uh, hard and difficult time, not just for me personally, being from the ages of 17 to 22, figuring out who I was, who God created me to be. But on top of all of that, my dad, the person who has made the biggest impact in my life concerning who I was going to be when I grew up, was going through one of the most difficult things that a person can go through. A lot of you, everyone in here, I would venture to say, has been affected by cancer in some way, shape, or form. And so you know how difficult it is. And so for me, my faith had to grow in that season. It had two options. My faith was going to grow or my faith was going to die because of what I faced. Because of what my family faced. And when my dad told me what was going on, I wanted to know how they were going to fight it. Tell me about the plan. Why didn't they catch it sooner? What do we need to do to get through it? And asking all these questions, my dad just continued to remain steadfast, at least with me. And, 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 and in his resolve to trust God, regardless of what it was he was going through, he was teaching me that I needed to remain faithful regardless of the how. Because God was going to use this to his glory, even though our finite little brains, my finite little brain couldn't understand how that was possible. How God was going to be glorified by killing somebody, by allowing my dad to die. And I wanted to know why. I want to know how. How was this going to work? How are you going to be glorified when you are flipping my entire world upside down? Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary's words in Greek, they don't use the word for virgin, but translated literally are seeing I know not a man. What does she mean? One, this, could, this couldn't happen because I'm not intimate with a man. Or two, how will God accomplish this since the normal means of pregnancy isn't available? That's what it means. What the angel announced to her was supernatural. It's a miracle. The response can either be miracles don't just happen. So prove it to me. Or it could be, wow, that's amazing. How will it happen? The response of wonder, the response of faith, faithfulness, regardless of her circumstances. Some people talk about the fact that we shouldn't question God. Mary does. We should. We should question those things, especially while we're doubting, especially in those seasons where we do have these frustrations and these things that come up that we simply think this wasn't in my plan. So God, why is it in your plan? And then we remember where we left off last week that God is God and we aren't. And that's a good thing. But we need to be able to ask questions. Questions stretch our minds, they stretch our hearts, they increase our understanding. Questions and the exploration for their answers contribute to our faith, even if the questions themselves may ultimately go unanswered. Mary's question arose from faith, not from doubt. She remains steadfast in her faith regardless of her circumstances. And beyond that, Mary responds to uncertainty with trust and humility. Mary responds to uncertainty with trust and humility. We see her have no clue how this is going to work. And rightfully so. This is outside of nature. This is outside of natural. We, like, regardless of her lack of knowledge and probably her shock at the sight of an angel, she responds in a way that is beyond her years when she says in Luke 1, she says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I could never imagine responding this way to news like this. I don't know about you. You may have a lot more faith than I do, uh, but news that would change my life, news that could upend my existence and everything that I thought to be true. Knowing she was engaged, Mary probably had a plan as to what her life was supposed to look like. Right, ladies and 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 dudes in the room too. You probably when you got engaged, you probably had a vision of what your life was going to look like down the road. Maybe you're just dating somebody right now and you're like, hey, if we continue to date and we get engaged, what? I bet our life could look like this. Mary is in the same boat. She's a human just like every single one of us. And so she, so she is betrothed to Joseph. She's engaged to this guy and she's probably trying to figure out, man, what is my life going to look like with Joe? What is our life going to look like. She probably has those plans. What, what her daily routine was going to be when she does have a family. What, what is that going to look like? And when she, when she hears the news that she is going to bear the son of God, she remains steadfast in her faith and she puts it back on God. She simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. God, do what you want to do with me. I'm simply here to accomplish whatever it is that you ask of me. It's probably going to look a lot different than the way I had assumed my life was going to go. But regardless, you work through me. You do you, and I will be faithful and allow you to do you. You be God. I will be faithful to your call on my life. About six months ago, Sarah and I answered the call to come and be the pastor at First Baptist Hanford. But rewind five and a half years. We were living in Kingsburg. I was teaching. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said, hey, you need to apply for this job as a youth pastor. And I was like, nah, that ship has sailed. I'm good. I'm going to teach. I'm going to be in Kingsburg. I'm going to be comfortable. Our family is here. I'm coaching water polo. I was preaching uh, at a church once a week. Like, I was like, I'm good. He's like, no, really, I think you should make that phone call. So I did. I made the phone call. I went through the interview process. Actually, the first time uh, I called him and I submitted my resume. And he's like, you know what? We have four other resumes. They're, they're all pretty solid. So we're going to go in that direction. I hung up the phone. I was like, great. Guess God answered that question for me. And then, funny enough, I got an email about two weeks later. And that email said, hey, Peter, uh, we passed on those other four candidates. If you're interested, we'd love to have a phone conversation with you. I was like, okay, great. So I had a phone conversation, went through the interview process. About three weeks later, um, uh, uh, they offered me a job, and I said no. I said, no, I don't, that, that job isn't going to work for me. I, just, I think that God has something else for us. And so I went to, uh, to Kingsburg High School, and uh, they had offered me a job in the meantime. And I said, I'm going to be your new English teacher. And they were like, all right, great, let's go. Fast forward one week later, I got another phone call back from HDC and said, hey, we have another job for you, and I think it might be a perfect fit. And Sarah and I prayed about it, and we were obedient to the Lord. And we heard, we, we heard his call, and we moved down south, and it was the most difficult thing that we ever had to do. Not because the job was hard or anything like that, but simply because our comfort zone was here. What we were doing, we were comfortable doing. 
And, and largely, we could have lived a life, we could have had an existence where we didn't have to be faithful to God. We simply just had to show up and live. And there were enough people in our family, in our community, to be able to just be like, yeah, we love Jesus, and go about our, our everyday lives. But God had something else in mind. God decided, you know what? No, Peter, you, you are made for vocational ministry. And I put your wife on this earth to be able to, to prepare your sons for battle. And so because of that, I need you to go move down south to the desert. For five years, we were there. We tried to get back. We tried to get back, which blows people's minds when I tell them we're trying to get back to the Central Valley, by the way. <laughs> Don't know why. Over and over and over again, we tried to get back. And finally, when Sarah and I decided that we were going to submit to God and say, okay, God, fine. You have us in the desert for a reason. We finally sold our house that we still owned in Kingsburg. We sold that house. We bought a house in the desert. We completely and totally invested with the people who were there. And about eight months after that, I had a conversation with a man by the name of Gilbert. And Gilbert said in a very thick Scottish accent, do you want to know about First Baptist Hanford? I said, okay, well, God, let's figure this thing out. And we were faithful to God, regardless of what it is that we had planned. When we finally said, okay, God, you do in us what, what you think needs to be done in us. We'll do it. Ultimately, that's when God began to reveal what he was going to do. In the same way, here's this teenager facing facing uh, probably misunderstanding and rejection from her family, her betrothed and her townspeople. For an engaged woman to bear a child out of wedlock, I talked about this last week, someone not her husband could potentially result in stoning and death. And yet she agrees. Mary affirms the bedrock truth that undergirds our discipleship. I am the Lord's servant. After all is said and done, after we've explored all the possibilities, we still have to decide, am I a servant or a master? Is my allegiance to the Lord or is the, my allegiance to my own way? Sometimes it takes a ton of tension in our souls to come to that place of submission. But come to it, we must. Even before uh, Jesus was conceived, Mary was faced with the decision, will I obey and make way for this king? Or will I take the easy way that avoids difficulty, that avoids pain? To her everlasting credit, Mary's response of faith is what our response has to be. It's that I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, as the King James says it. Mary exemplifies the life and the obedience and she was blessed by God because as Elizabeth said, she believed what the Lord said to her would be accomplished. And think about it, as, as we look at this story, we know how the story ends. Mary clearly knew something miraculous had happened or was going to happen. But when this angel appears, she has no clue what this looks like. This is outside of the natural order, outside of what was supposed to happen. And so Mary's like, okay, uh, an angel comes to Mary and is like, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to get you pregnant. You are going to bear the Savior of the world. You think, you think she ever thought in her mind, because I think she might have thought uh, uh, this baby wasn't conceived in a normal way. Is this pregnancy going to be a normal pregnancy? And if this is the Son of God, how big is this baby going to be? Right? <laughs> Like Mary didn't know anything. And she said, regardless of that, I am going to be faithful 
to God. God, do what you will. And Elizabeth even said, she, Elizabeth says in verse 45, then blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed. Mary had faith in what God told her, faith in what she couldn't see. And it must have seemed far-fetched, but after visiting with Elizabeth, it had to become more and more real. God would fulfill the promises he made to her. And so rather than looking at her own circumstances, and this is your last fill in the blank here, Mary focused on God's faithfulness. Mary focused on God's faithfulness. This is different from your first blank. Your first, first blank largely is Mary was faithful regarding, regardless of her circumstances. But in this essence, Mary focused on, on who God was. And that Mary focused on God's faithfulness. As we look at our lives and the things that we have going on, and we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, okay, Peter, you can do this. Now is the time to get up earlier. Now is the time to read, to read more chapters of my Bible and pray more fervently and, be, and, and wait more patiently on the Lord. And, and I'm going to work harder to try to solve this problem. I'm going to do everything in my own ability to be able to figure this thing out. Because it's my issue and it's my problem and I have to figure it out to work harder, to solve the issue at hand. We put our nose to the grindstone. I can do it. You can do it. We can get this thing done. But rather than look at her own abilities, rather than look at what she could do, she simply focused on God being faithful. Luke 1, 46 to 56 is largely, it's called Mary's song, Mary's prayer. Different things, different, different traditions call it different things. But largely, this is what Mary says, starting in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy, mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary is talking about a big God who is faithful to the things that he says. And verse 56 concludes with Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This prayer is often referred to as one as it's, it's one of submission and it's one of confidence in God. It's one talking about God's faithfulness. She doesn't waver, but reminds herself that God is God and she isn't. God is God and she isn't. And that, that, that it's he who put that baby inside of her. He was going to be faithful in his promises to her and his promises to, the people, to his people, the Jews. Charles Spurgeon um, says it this way. He said, Mary did not look at this matter unbelievingly. Although she appreciated the greatness of the favor, she did but rejoice the more heartily on that account. For he who is mighty has done great things to me. Come soul, it is a great thing to be a child of God and your God does great wonders. Therefore, be not staggered through unbelief, but triumph in your adoption. Great mercy though it is. Oh, it is a mighty mercy, higher than the mountains to be chosen of God from all eternity. But it is true that even so, are his redeemed chosen and therefore sing of it. It's a deep and unspeakable blessing to be redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. But you're so redeemed beyond all question. 
Therefore, doubt not, but shout aloud for gladness of heart. It is a rapturous thought that you shall dwell above and wear the crown and wave the palm branch forever. Mary looked to God over and over and over again. In the midst of Mary's troubling circumstances, she saw it was a blessing what was going on and what was going to come from her womb, that God chose her out of everyone who had ever lived or will ever live to bear a son who would deliver the world from themselves. And because of all of this, her faith grew. And what we need to walk away from here knowing is that trusting God is paramount to growing your faith. Trusting God is paramount to growing your faith. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what trials are going on, what issues, what joys or frustrations that you brought into this building with you today. But I do know that if you were to leave here and aren't trusting God with the mess that you brought in, your faith will not grow. You will simply continue to stagnate. For Sarah and I, when we had those few hours of uncertainty regarding what our our new normal would look like when Owen was born, My wife was obedient enough and trusting enough to stop with the nonsense of trying to do it ourselves and simply said, let's pray. I have no clue if uh, if Owen was deaf and our petition helped him hear or if he could hear all along. But I do know in that moment we decided to trust God rather than than put the situation into our own hands. And I, and I believe there are people in here today who simply, simply need to give their mess to God. Realize that the circumstance that we find ourselves in are not worth the worry and the fret that it is causing us. Some of us in here are worrying about uh, smaller things like finishing our Christmas shopping and the stress it's going to bring going to Target later on this afternoon. I went last night. Trust me, not fun. Others of us are dealing with things far greater, like how to celebrate Christmas after your spouse died this year. Maybe after a divorce or losing a child, I don't know. But, but I do know if the, we aren't able to dr- trust God with our mess, then, then we are hindering our faith from moving forward in a mighty way. We are hindering his ability to use us because we're saying no. We're keeping him at an arm's length. And saying, no, God, I have this, I have this, I have this. And the reality is, is we need to open up that hand and try to bring him closer. Say, God, here's my mess. This is where I've been. This is where I am. Take it from me. I didn't know how my dad's walk with cancer was going to turn out, but he kept asking that God would be glorified regardless of the end. And God was, and God is. Can you imagine what it would look like if we walked from here today and simply laid our issues down for a God who wants to carry that burden so he can handle it? And we wouldn't walk through this Christmas season burdened and concerned about things we can't fix anyway. But we simply focus on the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. That when people ask us why we are in such a great mood this season, that we could answer because God is bigger than anything else that I have going on. And we get to celebrate Jesus tomorrow or in two days and tomorrow and hopefully every day. There's my, there we go. Fix it. (laughs) But God is bigger than anything else that we have going on. And he is fighting 
for me. He's fighting on my behalf. And that fight looks like him getting glorified regardless of our outcome. Amen. Let's pray church. Father, thankful for this season. Thankful for Christmas. Thankful for families getting together in awkward conversations around dinner tables and and just the opportunity to be with one another. And God, I pray that, that we would remember why we celebrate this season, why we are here, why churches all across the world are celebrating your son being born. It's because of the fact that we know he was born on our behalf. So that when he entered into this world, that that ultimately he was born to die, to conquer death, to rise again. So we could be with you forever to fix the sin issue that happened way back in the garden. That you said, you know what, regardless of that, I am going to, to send my only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish, will have eternal life. Father, thank you for sending your son and we celebrate him this Christmas. But God, I also know that there are are people in this room who are just dealing with with stress and frustrations and and dealing with, with issues that aren't going their way. Things that aren't going their way. Things that they hadn't planned for cancer. They hadn't planned for foreclosure. They hadn't planned for divorce. They hadn't planned for strained relationships. They hadn't planned for whatever it is, God. That man, we're a mess. And we all have our things. And so God, I just pray that we would be willing to set those things at your feet this morning and say, you know what, God, I can't solve it anyway. That God, I know that you're a whole lot bigger than I am. And you can handle this. So God, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to trust in your faithfulness. I'm going to trust in your promises. And regardless of the outcome, you will be glorified. I know that. So God, make it so you can be as glorified as possible in my mess. And God, still there's other people in here who don't yet know your son, who haven't placed their faith in your son. And, and God, we know it's as simple as ABC, A, admit that we're a sinner in need of a savior. God, if there are people in here who don't yet know that, I just pray that they would repeat that, that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, Father, in the quietness of their own hearts. That be, I believe you sent your son to die on the cross on my behalf to reconcile to you, you, to you forever so that when we leave this place, we would be glorified and see that we would choose to follow you every single day of our lives. That it wouldn't just be Christmas, the, the Sunday before Christmas or Christmas Eve services or Christmas morning or, or, or just Easter, Father, but it would be the opportunity to choose to follow you every single day. So that as we're carrying these burdens, as we're carrying these messes, we can lay them at your feet and say, God, you got this. I am so thankful that you are God and I am not. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, if you, uh, if you prayed that prayer today, there's a little spot on your Connect card for you to mark. We'd love to follow up with you. And you can drop those Connect card with your ushers on the way out. Hey, have a great Christmas. We hope to see you tomorrow night, all right? Bye-bye.